Welcome to season two of ESG Unlocked by ISS Corporate Solutions, a podcast that features engaging and insightful discussions with ESG and sustainability experts around the world. I am your host, Pamela Motomwa, and I'm so thrilled to be back with more episodes. On this episode, we will be discussing how companies are managing third-party risk in our rapidly changing business environment. Doug Clare and Tim Chan will be our guests. Doug Clare is Managing Director and leads the cyber strategy for ISS Corporate Solutions. He comes with over 30 years of experience in enterprise risk management. Tim Chan is a Senior Product Management Leader at FICO, where he works in the global procurement systems and governance business. So Doug and Tim, welcome to ESG Unlocked. It's so great to have you both here with us as we kick off season two. Thank you. Good to be here. Pleasure to be part of the conversation. I'd like us to dive right into the topic, you know, the subject of third-party risk management, also known as a TPRM. TPRM has been pulled to the forefront for several reasons, such as the threat landscape growing, a greater reliance on third party to support critical services, there's the aspect of digital transformation increasing momentum right now, and of course, environmental impacts and regulations. Now, from a regulatory aspect, right, publicly traded companies are now required to adhere to certain rules by the recent Securities and Exchange Commission rules that were effective September 5th. So, Doug, can you help our listeners understand at a high level what those rules are and what do they mean for companies? Yeah, I'll keep it really simple. The new SEC regs really require three things. One is a timely disclosure, and timely is defined as within four four business days, of any material cybersecurity incident. So companies really have to be on the ball, have a solid understanding of what materiality means, and be prepared to fulfill that through an 8K filing. The other two requirements there are about the 10K, an annual disclosure of the measures the company's taking to manage cybersecurity risks. And then the third leg of the stool is describing what the role of the management team and the board are in overseeing the management of those risks. So those are really the three legs of the stool. There's a lot of details there about how to file, where to file, which forms, and those kinds of things. It's important, I think, for companies to go get themselves familiar with that. But it's really, I think, about preparedness, preparedness to make those disclosures in what will likely be their next 10K filing, and then also to be prepared on an ongoing basis for the timely disclosure of material incidents. Timely ongoing disclosure. And I think you said, was it four days? Four days, yeah. It's a tight, tight turnaround. There are some exceptions for things that have national security implications, but in general, it's a four-day turnaround. Turning around anything in four days usually requires some preparedness, so it's yeah. good to think about these things now. Absolutely. So third-party risks generally come in a lot of flavors, right? Reputational, operational, strategic transaction, financial, and like we're talking now, cybersecurity. And then, of course, there's ESG and compliance. And when we look at the COVID pandemic period, we can certainly see how it exposed a lot of issues in companies' supply chains. So, Tim, how has this impacted the way companies look at third-party risk from your perspective? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think the, the COVID pandemic period probably impacted other organizations that are managing very complex supply chains like manufacturing companies, those companies more involved in logistics. 
mm-hmm. more than a co- technology company like the one I come from, FICO, right? Where it's less, we, we don't face as many of those pressures. But we did see a lot of notable effects in terms of how companies are evaluating third-party risk. And I think overall, it really just made everyone's collective antennas go up in terms of kind of contemplating risk factors that were previously an afterthought, right? So in general, the industry had like, um, when the pandemic first hit us, I mean, the industry had a more immediate focus on reviewing financial health, the potential risk of default for some smaller and even larger firms. But I think mostly the pandemic exposed a lot of unforeseen weaknesses that companies that impacted the way companies deliver to their customers, right? So if you layer on top of that, you know, all of the negative news you saw about the logistical issues, the supply chain issues, you know, hard to get raw material, it presented some pretty scary times for companies. And if you work at a company that's subject to these types of pressures, it's likely that your company has been asked to share some form of pandemic plan or policy, right? That, That was kind of a a recent development with the pandemic. So lastly, you know, the pandemic indirectly forced people to look at third-party management from a risk management from a more practical lens. You know, I think while some companies still do this, FICO, for example, the the number of on-site audits that we've conducted with our third parties is drastically reduced. We're seeing the pandemic has forced companies to invest in optimizing their remote audit capabilities of their programs. And then building a case to invest more in automated risk solutions, tapping into external data sources for risk data, and then relying more on reputable audit attestations prepared by third-party audit firms. Gotcha. So you're saying that on-site audits are reduced because of this advancement in automation services and other ways of evaluating the levels of risk you are exposed to from um, your third-party relationships. Exactly, Pamela, yep. All right, so Doug, what's your perspective on this? How have you seen companies impacted from a third-party risk perspective since the pandemic? Well, first I would agree with Tim, right? I think the pandemic taught everybody how to do things remotely, how to how to get things done without actually, you know, getting on the plane or getting in the car and going there. The idea that you can do a thorough audit and a thorough vendor evaluation with help from other companies that provide information and ratings and insights is important. I think, you know, organizations in general just learned how to do a lot of things without getting on the airplane. I think the other thing, though, maybe a little bit more broadly about the pandemic is that because of the problems, and as Tim mentioned, right, a lot of them were in manufacturing and things like that, where supply chains were interrupted and people couldn't get the one little screw that they needed to put the whole automobile together or whatever. (laughs) It really exposed weaknesses in supply chain, and it made people really think about what is my supply chain. Mm -hmm. Uh, Instead of being focused on maybe the top three or four vendors, organizations realized that they had to really understand the whole thing. Doesn't mean they have to look at everything through exactly the same lens, but they do need an understanding of what that whole supply chain is. What are all my dependencies that I rely on? What are my backup plans for those? What risk do I have in those? And even, I think, who are the suppliers to my suppliers, right? Because if I have a key supplier and they can't get what they need to deliver to me, you've got a bit of a snowball effect. So I think in terms of third-party risk management, it really just made people step back and define the supply chain. What is it? Where are the risks? What are all the moving parts? And what are my plans? 
how do I really evaluate the risk? How do I make sure I know what I'm going to do if I realize one of those risks? Absolutely. I think, you know, my takeaway from what you're saying is companies really start to see how interconnected and interdependent they are overall in being able to produce the services or goods that they create for their customers or clients. In doing some research, my understanding is that third-party risk management is something a company must continuously do, right? It's not something that is one and done, for instance, during the onboarding process, doing business with a new vendor. And so to proactively prevent costly and damaging incidents, the most effective approach is to have a continual process or life cycle approach. And this seems like a lot of work for a company to do. This means evaluating hundreds of vendors sometimes on an ongoing basis. Tim, can you give us a high-level summary of some of the key points of a strong TPRM lifecycle and how a supplier or vendor could make this process more efficient when they are being evaluated by a client? Absolutely, Pamela. I think managing a strong TPRM lifecycle is critical. And why is it critical? I think largely because it helps your program continuously be in tune with the latest compliance and control posture of the third parties you're reviewing. But you're right, it is a lot of work. Um, And at FICO, I mean, our onboarding monitoring review cadence is largely determined by the level of residual risk that is detected through the due diligence process. But naturally, with our higher risk third parties, as we see as an industry standard, we apply a more regular ongoing monitoring cadence. And it's critical to have these automated solutions in place, because if you think about the complexity of these supply chains, the volume of third parties you're working with, Try to imagine keeping on top of those monitoring schedules without having a system that kind of keeps you accountable to that that schedule, right? Mm -hmm. So we find it really important to also conduct monitoring reviews prior to key contract renewals and for good reason, right? I mean, contract negotiations is where you as a customer or the partner can really just buy your leverage and get your vendors to comply with your due diligence activities in a timely manner. I think all program managers of TPRM programs think that believe the name of the game is speed and efficiency, right? It, it's, you need to be able to move at the speed of the business. And so contract out negotiations are the best opportunity for your stakeholders to also review and update the language of that contract, and make sure that there's the necessary protections are in place for your company. Can vendors make this process more efficient? Definitely. I think with more and more TPRM programs implementing these regular review cadences, Mm-hmm. As as the sales rep or the account rep, you can better anticipate these upcoming needs and be a little more proactive in participating in risk assessments, due diligence activities, well in advance of the next contract negotiation or renewal cycle. That reduces a lot of friction in terms of the delays that are experienced by the business. It just it just enables an overall smooth experience. And I've seen other vendors try to get ahead of this by they. They'll put out self-service web portals with all of their TPRM evidence documentation available, gated by login, and it just helps customers get uh, get ahead of their, their due diligence. Oh, that's interesting. They're being more transparent and proactive with that. I think most people would associate third-party risk management with managing suppliers and vendors. That's what we've been talking about for the most part. But what are the other relationships that should be considered and evaluated as well to manage risk? Doug, why don't you take this one? 
when you talk about third-party risk, it's important to think about really any third parties that you're doing business with. And that doesn't necessarily mean suppliers all the time. I mean, that's a that's probably the biggest category. But business partners, delivery partners that you might have, anybody you know in the world of cyber, sticking to that for a second, anybody that you have a data sharing relationship or some kind of a technology connection with, could be a risk to you. You know, a breach in their organization could impact your organization. They could lose your data. They could introduce some kind of, you know, malware into your environment. And so looking at third-party risk, I think really requires you to look across all those relationships and really evaluate risk in the same way. You've got a dependency, you've got a business relationship. It's important or you wouldn't have it in the first place. If you're establishing some kind of a connection like that, you need to understand what those risks are, even if they're not a supplier. Yeah. Now, what are your thoughts about going beyond third-party risk? What about fourth or going beyond that? You know, as I mentioned earlier, the pandemic, I think, really forced people to really think about what all the relationships are. Where are the weaknesses in the supply chain? And of course, now your suppliers have suppliers. Mm -hmm. And so understanding fourth-party risk, right, identifying at least for critical suppliers, right? Who are their suppliers? What are their risks? Not that you're going to have an opportunity to go out and evaluate the suppliers of your suppliers, but you should know who they are. You should ask. You should understand not only what are the risks of my third parties, but what processes do they have to manage their third-party risk? And if you can't audit all of your suppliers' suppliers or your fourth parties, you can at least get an idea of, are my third parties being diligent in their evaluation of their third parties? And of course, there are tools out there that help you identify who the third parties of your third parties are, and those can be helpful as well. One of the key things there that we find is really helpful for our clients is understanding what we call fourth party aggregation risk. So Say I have 100 suppliers and I look across those 100 suppliers and I see they have 1,200 suppliers that are important to them, but all of them have one or two key suppliers in common, knowing that I have kind of that aggregate exposure, mm -hmm. not necessarily within my direct supply chain, but within my supplier's supply chain, and they all have common dependencies, or most of them do, that can be really insightful in terms of my management of risk, understanding that right behind the curtain, there's a concentration of risk there that I may want to have a discussion with my, my direct supply chain about that. Right. At least to understand, I think that's where it becomes, what are your critical third-party relationships? Um, you can't do it for all of them, of course. And I think prioritization is huge there. And Tim, what are your thoughts? I think... Some organizations are less focused on supply chain than others. And the principle that I generally follow, the rule of thumb, is follow the data. I mean, it's absolutely critical for you to know which of your third parties is processing your company's sensitive data, maybe that PII data of your consumers. The rise of SaaS companies over the past decade plus, right? I mean, subprocessor management, especially when it comes to cyber, is, is more important today than it's ever been. I mean, it's, it can often be surprising to understand which of your fourth parties have access to your company's PII just to support the nature of the business relationship you have with the vendor. Whether it's hosting your data, offering technical support, on its face, you don't think there's some personal data being exchanged there. But when you peel back the layer of the onion, 
you actually that that gets exposed. So that's why data flow mapping has become a really critical TPRM activity when it comes to end party management. And um, it's important for your suppliers to be transparent about which vendors serve as the processors of your data. And um, like I said, some examples, I mean, I've seen a best practice develop over the past decade of the larger reputable firms are putting out their subprocessor lists on the public internet. And they put a little RSS feed there so that you can subscribe to it and be in tune with any changes to that list, because you may be obligated contractually to inform your downstream customer. Transparency is definitely the theme around TPRM. Now, there's obviously a lot to consider. We've just been talking about understanding your critical supplier suppliers as well and the scope of all of this. And, you know, what's critical for an organization is to invest really in all of this, because an organization's weakest link is as as strong as they'll ever be. And so there are possibilities of fines and other legal repercussions, right? Scrutiny from regulators, reputational financial risk with their customers, or especially when companies neglect or fall in this area. Now, my final question for you both as we conclude this episode is, what would you recommend for companies just starting out, right? Companies that are just starting out, what should they be thinking about? It's important for companies as they as they embark on a TPRM program, right? Whether they're really starting from scratch or they're just realizing that they're what they're doing is, you know, inadequate and needs a reboot, I think it's important to really look look across your supply chain and start with the most important bits, right? Like anything, right? I talk to my kids sometimes, right? When there's a big task, I'm like, how do you eat an elephant? And my kids snap back one bite at a time, right? So you got to start somewhere. You got to pick at something first. And I think vendor categorization is a good place to start or partner categorization, because I don't want to forget about the non-vendor third parties here. But when you look at it and say, with whom am I sharing data? That's always a great place to start, because at least in the world of cyber, it's your biggest risk. If you're sharing that data, then you've got a, a cyber risk. And start with those with whom you're sharing the most data and then work your way down. Big vendors, usually more important than small ones, you know, maybe overseas ones create a higher risk for you. But really think about what those vectors of risk are and start with the most important ones. And maybe I'll pause there. Tim is the practitioner here, so I'll let him <laughs> jump in. No, I think, Doug, that's that's really important. Prioritization of your entities is a great first step. And you know, just sitting from where I sit in my organization, I think, you know, even before you get to that point, right, I think it's it's about building a thoughtful, vetted framework for your program long before you even contemplate what your due diligence process should look like, how many vendors should we review, all of that. You want to define those boundaries. Like, what is, what is the nature of the business that you're, you're operating in? What type of risks are the, is the industry that your company is operating exposed to as a whole? You also want to gather perspective from your risk management stakeholders, your legal team, your cybersecurity team, your data privacy team, your operational risk teams, and help them help you build that framework and set those boundaries for your program. You know, it's also a really good idea as a lower, larger organization to, to form some kind of leadership steering committee for your program. And these members of these committees should have direct access to the board of directors. And board of director visibility is, is really key for a program's maturity. This is where Doug's point comes in is, is establishing that vetted inventory of your currently set of onboarded third parties. So sometimes it starts with pulling your vendor master report and it gives you a good idea of how many third parties are currently in use. 
And then you'll want to analyze this further, prioritize, like Doug's saying, and understand what level of resources are at your program's disposal to determine what percentage of those total entities need to be under your program's management. I think once you've established these items, you just continue to refine. You can really build that framework and get that vetted. And then you'll want to formalize that into documents like a policy document or a program document. But there are a ton of resources out there online for free that offer good starter kits and checklists for TPRM programs as they embark on this initial journey. Absolutely. There are definitely resources online. As I was preparing to talk to both of you, I definitely did see quite a lot of information out there. But you guys have been a great resource of information for our listeners. And it was such a pleasure to talk to you both. Thank you. Thank you for having us.